This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third edition of the Liverpool.com podcast. I am Christy Walsh, and with me are Liverpool.com writers Joel Rabinovitz, Ollie Connolly, and Dan Morgan. How the devil are we, gentlemen? It's our birthday. It is our birthday. Feel you. Liverpool.com is one year old today. We're recording this on Tuesday, July July the uh, July the ninth, two thousand nineteen. Started. I went on um, I went on YouTube to sort of have a little look because I was I was playing you the video. Does anyone know why Stevie Wonder like just released a happy birthday song? <laughs> like, Stevie Wonder. It's it's like who's who's for was this? You know, just just. Is this sort of R&B singer, sort of an absolute legend of the music industry? Um, let's sing a song about Happy Birthday. It just it, it felt like it was bold to take on the the timeless classic of Happy Birthday to You, but it felt like it's worked. I, I think we should devise a Liverpool song to Happy Birthday, because then it just ruins it for every other fan base. Like we, 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 we ruined Shaken Stevens for Everton. <laughs> um, so I think if we do happy birthday then we've got every angle covered I don't know I don't know I think I'll it's let you a player while the hour goes <laughs> it's a I'm just looking at it genre I'm on, I'm on the Wikipedia page genre 553 um, it was obviously label Motown uh, length 5 minutes 53 which is impressive <laughs> but anyway yeah happy birthday to us as Stevie Wonder would say um, I don't know if that was even the line but there we go Um <laughs> As you can tell, we're in a really good mood because Liverpool are still, still, still the champions of England, the champions of Europe, the champions of the world. Uh, so what we're going to crack on with this week, we're going to talk a little bit about what's in the news. Um, and, and God, there's been a fair bit in the news, let me uh, let me tell you that. And then we're also going to have a little look at what happens next over the next four games. Um, and as much as the longer term picture that we're, that we're going to be speaking about, we also just want to sort of see what we want to see in the last four games from this Liverpool team and from the Premier League in general. But first, here's the news. Uh, first of all, Jürgen Klopp, gentlemen, uh, he keeps on talking transfers. Uh, that is mainly because he is asked about them and that is mainly because people do want to know about them. Um, speaking in his pre-Brighton press conference, he said, are there players out there on the market who could help us as well? Probably yes. This is a challenge to us to improve a really good football team, but time is a challenge as well, which is deep. Um, nobody knows what the future will hold for all of us. So how can we make decisions, really expensive decisions about how we deal with it? He talks on and on and on, of course. And then he says, uh, other clubs maybe can spend some money, uh, but this club is led in a specific way. This is our way and here we are. Is it the best way? I do not know. But will we stick to it, Joel? Is it the best way? I mean, it's certainly delivered pretty good results, hasn't it? I think one of the funny things about transfers is like there's a disconnect between like people's interest in transfers and the actual intention of what transfers are there to do. Transfers, the whole point of them is to build the best team you can possibly build, and the reason you want to build the best team you can possibly build is to win the hardest trophies there are to win. And in the space of just over a year, we've seen Liverpool literally win V2 trophies at every club. Well, certainly English clubs cover most the Premier League and the European club, plus becoming world champions. 
in that time and a Super Cup as well. Um, and I remember we just said that it's a year since we started. I remember a lot of what we were talking about and writing in our, our kind of first few weeks last summer was about can Liverpool afford to not build basically from a position of strength after they won the European Cup and they'd done 97 points. And at that point, the kind of the general feeling was that if Liverpool didn't use that chance to strengthen going into this season, they would be unlikely to be able to match their points return from last season and at Man City with the squad that was best equipped to go again and kind of get somewhere close to between 95 and 100 points and we've seen Liverpool didn't do anything they signed a couple of teenagers in Elliot and Vandenberg um, a free agent backup goalkeeper to replace Mignolet and almost certainly going to exceed last season's points tally maybe even break the all-time record having signed no one now that doesn't mean that they can just keep doing that forever. We know that's not the case. Um, at some point, they are going to have to freshen up and strengthen. But I think it, th- there comes a point where you can, you can almost just sit back and, and say, we, we've done exactly what you would want us to achieve, having not gone out and spent loads. Um, that doesn't mean that you kind of never need to strengthen. But I do think the kind of the strategy which has got us to this point between Klopp, Edwards, FSG, um, has enough credit in the bank, I think, if they decide that because of the circumstances they're not going to do loads this summer or anything. Um, I don't think the squad is in urgent need of addressing. There's obviously a few positions back up, left back probably. People still want kind of strengthening um, more depth in the front three. But yeah, I'm not I'm not particularly worried about it. I think I've reached a point now where I'm kind of fairly relaxed that kind of the plan, um, as Klopp has spoken about, is... I don't know if it's the best one, but it's certainly it certainly worked well to get to this point. Dan, it feels like we shouldn't probably talk about transfers because this is kind of uh, this is Klopp drawing a line under it. Um, even if he does leave a couple of little kernels of, of hope, um, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that people love them. They can't get enough of them, and you know you see people um, talk on social media when when and not just uh, liverpool.com but but any media organization really puts out a story about a transfer whether it's a, a report a rumor um or just a a general look at what's what, what's going on around the european leagues and 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 they say nobody's bothered stop stop writing this but we know for a fact that people really are interested and what he says here is interesting it feels like do you, do you feel like Klopp has sort of got to grips with this now in England where he just knows he's going to be asked? I mean, we'll move on to Thiago in a moment, but he he knows that he's going to be asked and he knows his, his stock answers and, and he's never really going to show his hand. And um, he basically uses the, 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 his media duties to, to get those messages out there about transfers to, to both the supporter base and, and maybe to, to other clubs as well. Yeah, I think he accepts it to a degree. Don't get me wrong, he's a lot smarter than he, he, he intentionally comes across sometimes. So, you know, his his club being heavily linked to, to Thiago, for example, will in some part keep the likes of Fabinho on the toes and, you know, will will make players modest and honest. And Carragher talks about it a lot. Players used to come into Liverpool, the first thing you'd think is, is he playing in my position? Is he here to replace me? So th- there is... There is that element to it in terms of sort of managing the competition of the squad constantly. I think it's more, 
I think it's I think it still forms part of our sort of doubters to believers journey, if you want. I think we're still sort of in the mind frame of of aspiring, aspiring to be, aspiring to be, aspiring to be, and and it's only sometimes and no one wants to rest on the laurels, but it's only sometimes in that context that you have to stop and say, "Hang on, we're, we're champions of everything here." And I know that the next aim is to then maintain and then to build and to evolve and to to become a dynasty. But but for me, at the same time, it's it's a lot harder to improve on greatness than it is when you can see the faults there, when you can see the glaring need for a centre back or a goalkeeper. Um, so the margins become fine. Where I am interested is sort of if and when these proposed real changes that are here now in terms of five substitutes um, stick around for a bit longer um, because I think that then maybe forces the manager into a bit of a corner whereby if his only real aspiration for business was to improve on, for instance, Dejan Lovren, Zayden Shaqiri and Adam Lallana, with Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott and Nicole Williams, he might be thinking, I need at least one or two to bridge that that sort of void now. If if we're going to have five subs, if we're going to have you know games condensed into into two a week, regardless because of the calendar, because of the schedule, so things can change. Things do change. They're movable all the time. But yeah, people people love transfers, um, and often they don't stop to think as to whether we actually need them or not. That's a really interesting point, Ollie. I'm just looking here, for example, and and I'm just going back a little bit from a few years back. And when Man City go absolutely spend crazy in the summer of 2017, uh, I'm just going to get the what what they do that summer up. Uh, they stay pretty much so they spend around 285 million pounds on players such as Laporte, Mendy, Walker. Bernardo Silva, Edison. I mean, those five alone are you know, first teamers, exactly. But the reason they do that, they didn't do that from a position of strength. They finished third the season before, two points ahead of Liverpool, who needed the final day to, to qualify for the Champions League. Um, they finished City, finish, let's see, 15 points behind champions Chelsea. They lose six games, which is actually three fewer than they've lost this season. So God knows what happens this summer. But in general, you look at Liverpool in 2017-18, and again, that wasn't from a position of strength when they go all out and buy Alison Becker. They just also signed uh, Naby Keita and, and Virgil van Dijk, of course, and then you got Fabinho thrown into the mix. These teams who are going to be spending, such as Chelsea, for example, are only following what Liverpool have done in the past, what City have done in the past. You very rarely see a team in a position of strength double down in such a dramatic way it's usually just a tweak here and there isn't it yeah it would be filling an obvious void or a guy who's definitely leaving which they don't really seem to have a concern with the thing that makes the point there is that this summer is so different and unique and that's what they're throwing it all out and i the, the game plan is so obvious it's if we recuperate we know the people we're interested in they probably we know the machinations of what a deal would kind of be though obviously the finances are a bit all over the place if we raise money from Gruwich and Wilson, which I think they're now expecting not to raise what they were initially anticipating, if we do hit certain marks, then we'll do it. So it's like, well, what is there to, to talk about until then? 
and they have the luxury of being able to roll this over into next year with the same squad, with it being settled, with bringing some of the young lads through. I think that the cultural thing you're talking about there is the most fascinating about the, the transaction over the action. It's like some people just don't watch the games and they would prefer to play like a real life mind football manager rather than just going and playing football manager. They like the idea of, you know, players, prospects can be anything. It's like a fantasy. It's great. It's like, well, plus the, the I called it culture of I was on him first. So I'm just going to hammer this forever until we get player X because I called that first and he's great. I called it. Um, I find it peculiar. It's like, the team has now scaled the mountain. This is the whole point of it. It's like, enjoy what's happening right now um, and have some faith and trust that, that that it can sustain. And the model, as I've written about this week, is fungible. The idea that they're just going to keep doing what they did before is silly. They've ne- they were never in this position before. They could never go and get Tiago before. So they will apply some of the old principles and try and adjust it to this new new norm in the middle of a financial climate where ownership is getting whacked in areas that isn't to do with football. So we don't know what it's going to look like yet. Chris, I was just going to say on that, um, between Klopp's first and second titles in, in Dortmund, there's, I mean, it's obviously a very different situation back then. That's kind of, well, was it nine, ten years ago now? Um, and obviously it was in the Bundesliga, not the Premier League. So Man City obviously weren't a thing. Um, but Klopp barely did anything to his team after winning that first one. I think he, I wrote something about this a few weeks ago. Um, I think... Sahin left to go to Real Madrid, he replaced him like for like with Gundogan. He was very cheap at the time. And I think he brought in Perisic for something like six or seven million. And that was it. That was his, his two main signings. He basically went again with the same squad, at which point Lewandowski, I think, had only scored like five or six goals in his first season and then sort of exploded in the second one. And they went and got more points and I think won the German Cup in the second season as well. So there is precedent for Klopp winning a title uh, and improving a title-winning team without actually going out and, and spending loads on reinforcements. I think a big part of that is is the age profile, is that when you initially do the business, is the reason you target lads in that age profile is that you can have them and try and have some kind of continuity in an age where teams don't have continuity. And you can have a four or five year run with those lads. You, they front loaded the spending. They probably didn't want to spend all that money on Allison and Van Dyke based on their other spending patterns but realise we can do that. And if we get the, the best of the world at two of the positions, they'll then we're set for four or five years. So we don't have to go and spend 30, 40 every summer. We, we did it. You know? I mean, look, there's no flies on us. Liverpool.com and, and every media uh, organisation write about transfers. And I don't want to point a finger to, to fans and say, well, you shouldn't be interested in them because they are. And, and we, to, a, to an extent, fuel that most certainly... It just feels to me sometimes fans want to win trophies to sign players rather than the other way around. So Liverpool win the Premier League and all of a sudden that strengthens their hand in the transfer market and, and gives a more exciting summer in theory. But that's not really how it should work. It should be the other way around. Just touching upon that, and you, 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 you've all touched upon how this is a different market. People will obviously be looking at FSG here and sort of saying this is the, the second summer, consecutive summer, where they haven't signed from a position of strength. But it really does feel different at the moment. And you can't blame any organisation for going whichever way they feel is right. You look at even the transfer fees. Now, Timo Werner, obviously, there was a, a release clause attached to that anyway, but I think he left for even lower than that. You look at uh, Leroy Sane, who's who's 
basically left for what he what he came for. He's gone to Bayern Munich for for the sub forty million pound fee. Even little things such as and look, I know that the both as part of the same club essentially, but the uh, Huang from Salzburg has just gone to Leipzig for about eight million euros, which is just this guy is. I mean, it's unreal, it's unreal really that they got such a good deal for him. So, you know, looking at what's going on around Europe at the moment, and and some of the fees that that are getting bandied around, and and the fact that they are much lower at the minute, it seems. Can anyone really blame them? And and is this the point where you can only really assess what's going to happen at the end of the summer? Where okay, if every single team around the world has spent 150 million on new players, then fine. But let's just see how this market plays out first before anyone really judges them. I think so. There's, uh, we, I think we broke this down as well on the site. That there's probably a strong case to say that Liverpool could have raised something pretty close to 100 million new players they would have ex- been expected to, to move on this summer. Um, Ollie mentioned a couple of them there, Gruwich and Wilson. You're probably looking in a normal market somewhere around 20 million, maybe even 25 million for the pair. Um, Origi's a really interesting one. I know, again, Ollie's written about him this week. And I think in normal circumstances, none of this pandemic had happened. Almost certainly, I think, if there were good offers, I think we probably would have been inclined to try and move him on and buy someone more suited to the style of play. I think there's quite a strong chance he hangs around for a little bit longer now. Um, because, like you said, the, the fees that are going around at the moment are so small. Um, again, players like Lovren and Shakiri. again, I think you'd probably be looking at somewhere around 15 million, maybe even 20 for them. You'd probably be lucky to get half of that now. And it's kind of a, it's a bit of a cost-benefit thing to Liverpool today think it's worth taking six or seven million for Lovren in the current market when they're probably not going to go out and buy and have a centre-back, really. Um, or are they just better hanging around and seeing kind of what the land looks like, um, if not in January, then next summer? Because I think that we know Liverpool tend to sort of do their kind of transfer planning several years in advance. So we're all talking about kind of players that we want to see this summer, like... Werner was the obvious one, which obviously isn't happening now and people are talking about Thiago, but Klopp and Edwards will probably have known last year who they were looking at for next summer, two years down the line. So if they have got plans to kind of go big on someone at the end of next season, that would sort of, I suppose, reinforce um, the sense, I suppose, in not kind of going crazy this summer if they don't feel the market's right for them. One of the things that's, that's interesting with the, the guys and the teams you mentioned there, Chris, is it's all kind of the savvy operators. You know, Chelsea are, are good at this. Um, and so I know that people have different, almost like moral judgments on what they do in terms of the churning out factory of players, but they're good at identifying targets. And they're all also deals that don't require a great deal of negotiation. Zebra a release clause to figure out. They have one year left on their contract. The Sane deal's basically been under the table for 18 months, and it was just kind of, when is it activated? Can they figure out a final a final uh, number value? They're kind of like in their prime, 26-year-old player at the peak of his powers going to a big club. We haven't seen those deals kind of like, how are they going to get negotiated yet? And those are the type of players who would improve Liverpool. The Thiago one is a player in the final year of his contract who you can get a depreciated value because of the injury history because of that final year compared to his actual skill set. So it's going to be interesting to see, does everyone try and go to, uh, try and find these inefficiencies of just release clauses, just a year left, and that kind of what would normally be the upper class of transfers either gets 
diminished a little bit and becomes cheaper, or do they just not move at all? Is Sancho? Sancho would be the obvious one. That's a guy who, in the ascendancy, and you've got United saying we're going 50 million or no more. I mean, the guy is probably worth double that. Yeah. I think you've just mentioned Thiago there as well, the T word, Ollie. Uh, we won't spend too much time on him. Uh, if, if people haven't been following this saga, if we can call it that, basically everybody and, 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 the, and the dog is saying that Thiago wants to move to Liverpool, but there's been no contact between Liverpool and Bayern. Liverpool seem pretty insistent that it's absolute nonsense. I suppose just a really quick round table here. Do you, do you do you want it to happen and, and can you see it happening? Do you think it will happen? I'm happy for any player who shoots what Jurgen Klopp wants. And and the, the the big thing for me is that we only get to see these people on a pitch for 90 minutes. We don't know what they're like in training. We don't know what, what attitudes they're bringing in. You know, you look at Gwen Doozy at Arsenal, for example, clearly has got a, a negative influence on the dressing room. Um, and then you've got someone like David Luiz, who people watch on a pitch and say, how's he still playing? He's clearly doing something right in training. So when we look at these players in terms of raw ability, we can say yes or no, but there's so many other variables at play when it comes to what this manager wants. And yeah, it's still very non-committal. I'm happy for it to happen. Um, but I just think it's been really interesting that no one has been willing to hang the hat on it either, either way, really. Ollie. Yeah, the Thiago one's fascinating. I, I think back to when I wrote about him this week, I think back to when Guardiola first arrived at Bayern and the whole mantra of the club was they have to sign Thiago. If you're gonna try and like move that Barcelona model culturally, stylistically, he's the one to do it. You gotta bring him with you. And it was this weird thing where it's just like this guy, this is the this is the guy who's gonna like bring kind of like the whole messy culture, he's gonna bring it there. So I think what you're saying there, Dan, is really interesting because Clearly, he's a serial winner, and the the only issue that's been there technically so supreme and just dominates the Bundesliga and touches and you know chances created and all that stuff over a three year spell. There's not really been anything like it in their league in terms of his dominance off ball and then what he's done with it. Um, so I, I just I find it fascinating that people are almost down on it as with the age of it's like this guy is completely world class. It's like so we're not going to bring in a world class player. Because we're going to keep Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Genie Wijnaldum. Like I know that's, that sounds like very simplistic, and the role they play is different, and Wijnaldum is massively important. But I, I can't see any way this kind of player cannot improve your team in some way. And and the the off the pitch stuff is, is there because when Hansi Flick came in and Bayern was a complete mess at the start of the season, he said everything again we reorient around this lad. This lad will take us to the promised land, and they have gone on to blitz everyone in every competition for seven months straight. So to, I, I, I just find it odd it's leaving. That's the thing that I find I find bizarre, more so than Liverpool would be interested. If they're not interested, it's a failure of the model. If, if he doesn't fit into, if him for 29, 30 million doesn't fit with what they want to do, that's a failure of the structure more so than it is that the player isn't worth it. I wasn't impressed with Munich, you know, Ali. I, I, I can see where he's coming from there. I don't think I don't think I could do with Oktoberfest as well. I think that'd do me head a little bit. So I can definitely see why he's leaving. Uh, the, the the metro's okay, but apart from that, I don't see what it's got over Liverpool. So I can I can definitely see why he wants out of it. Um, especially if you're not massively into sort of big sort of pork sausages, because I mean they do do them better than anyone. But apart from that, I, I was really unimpressed. Give me Berlin any day. Um, I would say as well, probably not the greatest thing to take uh, Pep's advice on like people skills and you know who he 
is the is the right guy. Yeah, if Pep you're made, then my God, <laughs> you've got, to, got, to, got to look at yourself in the mirror. Um, you, you, you're probably one intense individual. You can recite, uh, you know, oh, four patients back to front, front to back, and you're a terrible, terrible pint. Um, Joel, just uh, quickly on Thiago. I mean, this is probably a really clunky comparison from myself, but what Ollie just said there, to me, it will probably be like, and this is someone who doesn't really know Thiago that well, but sort of has seen him and what he's capable of. He's he's not at the level of what Van Dyke is to centre backs, but. I think it'd be a little bit like he's the same age as, as Virgil van Dijk. Uh, both had sort of injury problems before they signed. Is, is this not kind of like saying, well, Liverpool have Joel Matip, so let's just give van Dijk a pass? Possibly, yeah. I think when I first saw the links, I thought that just there's no chance. It seems like the least sort of Liverpool-like player we'd go for under FSG for all of the reasons the guys have mentioned there, age, injury record. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just not the kind of profile of player we tend to target. But the kind of the more that's kind of been spoken about, maybe there's an element of we're trying to convince ourselves that it makes sense. Um, but I do think that there is a there is something in the argument that all of the transfer planning kind of under clock really um, has been to try and build Liverpool up from a team who were kind of initially kind of Europa League mid table standard into a top four team, and then from a top four team into a team that could challenge for. European clubs and a league title and they've done that but we haven't seen what the transfer strategy looks like once you've actually reached that top point and I think that's the stage at which you, you can say look we can afford to kind of not drastically kind of uh, revamp the entire model or depart from the principles that have taken Liverpool to this point because Klopp's been quite clear they're not going to do that um, but I do think you can make one or two allowances if the right thing comes up and I think this um you can say all this stuff about age and injury record, but the, the facts are he has been, for kind of the best part of the last decade, one of the top five, probably, central midfielders in the world. Um, so if you could get him for 30, 35 million, which is a fee that's being spoken about, keep him fit. And then even if you got two or three seasons out of him at a really high level, um, I think it's very hard to argue with. Um, I think mean, he, he can play a couple of different positions. You probably... He probably could play that number six role, obviously in a very different way to how Fabinho or Henderson do it. But, you know, he's, he's a bit more of a dribbler um, and kind of his, obviously his passing and his technique is incredible. Um, so I, I would love to see it happen, basically, not least because it would give us two weeks worth of content just to go ham on, <laughs> uh, which would be fantastic. Um, whether I actually think it will happen, I don't know. Um, I'm more inclined to think there's something in it than I was to begin with just because like you said it's not really been emphatically dismissed by anyone including the manager himself um, who was very kind of I thought quite coy about it when he was asked in the press conference um, but yeah it's kind of a wait and see thing I do wonder if there's a little bit of a Wijnaldum question there because it's been kind of it's felt like it's just an inevitability for a while that he'd signed this extension, but it still hasn't happened. It may happen in the next few weeks. It may have already been done and they're just waiting to announce it, but it might Time's not. Time's ticking, though. Mm. Yeah, and if it gets to sort of October, November, December, he can sign a pre-contract at a new club in January. Um, and I think if you look in terms of profile, age, skill set, uh, if you could bring in Thiago as a like-for-like one out and replacement, then maybe that's something they're considering i'm not sure 
the uh, Thiago move, more so than Van Dijk, would strike me similar to when United went and got Van Persie. It's like, look, mm. we wouldn't normally do this. Yeah. We wouldn't normally be able to get this player, but this has just happened out of happenstance. Player likes our playing style, likes the manager. It's a great value for money. Let's just do it and we'll figure it out because we're going to get a world-class player. I think it, it would fit that where they probably didn't sit down a year ago, like Joel saying, and plan, well, let, let's go and get Thiago and we'll rebuild the team around him. They probably just got a call that he would be interested now. And it's like, why wouldn't we look at that? And it won the ice of the league that season, ultimately, because he was absolutely brilliant, Van Persie. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We'll park transfers uh, for this week anyway. Can't promise that we won't come back to them. No matter how much Jürgen Klopp says that nothing is going to happen, there will always be something floating around in the ever. Uh, move on to IFAB now, um, which is a very cool acronym, I suppose, for a very boring function, which is the, the people who set the rules for football. Uh, reporting the Athletic this week says that they want the five sub-rule to come back next season. This was obviously used for the end of this campaign in Project Restart, as well as across other leagues in Europe as, as, as a way to ease players gently back in after three months off because of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. I'm going to go ahead and say this really i'm i'm not a fan uh i i feel like it it's going the wrong way um we'll talk about the sort of the ins and outs of that in a moment liverpool and as of now we're recording this before united play aston villa but as of now liverpool and united the only clubs who've used all five substitutes in in all of their games since the restart uh but i suppose for me the game is stop start as it is, it feels like with the water break as well at the moment, it, it feels like games very rarely get into a rhythm. It feels like from a Liverpool perspective, it, it could help, but at the same time, it could hinder. And personally speaking, I would look at if, if you were to have a, a five sub rule, then there would be something really convoluted around two of the subs have to be homegrown. So it ha your fourth sub would have to be Casus Jones rather than than Alex Oxley Chamberlain. That's a terrible example because Alex Oxley Chamberlain's also homegrown. Jones rather than Abicator. Um so yeah, that that's where I'm at with it really. And then I think if you start coming into those sorts of convoluted rules, sub clauses, etc., it's always there to either be exploited or to fall down and there's a big massive tribunal over things. And somehow Pedro Chirivella gets Liverpool kicked out of the Premier League. So, what, what, what do you guys reckon? Does anybody want to take this one up? Fan, not a fan. How do you see it going? I sort of. Uh, I, I, go ahead, Dan. No, go on, mate. Go on. Go on. All right. Um, I, I saw the sense in bringing it in as a kind of a short-term measure, like you say, just to kind of get through this weird sort of 2019-20 part two thing, because I think. Yeah, bringing players back after three months without playing, I think there was going to have to be some kind of allowances to, to allow teams basically not to be struck down by injuries. Um, I've actually been surprised by kind of, I know there have been injuries, but there's not been as massive a problem as I kind of anticipated it might be. And I think the subs might have kind of helped that. I do think that there is a, a kind of worry, I suppose. Obviously, it does benefit the clubs that have the more resources, the bigger squads and that. Um, so, it, in a sense, it sort of uh, increases the kind of disparity there um, when you've got Man City capable of just bringing on Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus and Sterling for the last half hour. Um, 
against teams. I think from my point of view, I, I don't, I wouldn't particularly like to see either the five subs or the drinks break carry on into next season. I think it's sort of they were necessary. I would say probably to get this season done. Um, I think I, I'm more worried about the drinks break, to be honest, than the five subs thing, um, because essentially what it's done is break matches into kind of four quarters as opposed to two halves. Um, I remember being that, that stuck out to me as one of the, especially in Liverpool's first couple of games, it's like a really obvious um, change, I suppose, because it's kind of like the way Liverpool play is so oriented around kind of building pressure and building momentum in games, uh, which is why you've seen throughout the season they score so many goals in the kind of the last 10, 15 minutes before half time. And that's a result of teams basically not being able to maintain their kind of their shape or their concentration for such a sustained period of time. Um, whereas when you introduce this thing where like on 22, 23 minutes, they stop, get two minutes to, to reset, breathe. Managers are using it as a basically a, a mini sort of half-time team talk thing. It's not there's just a, going There's a picture from Brentford oh, against a team in the championship and the Brentford manager literally had the the, the, the whiteboard in front of oh, them. Yeah, the break. yeah so it's, it's a new chance to kind of take a breather, reset. And so like if you haven't made the breakthrough before 20, 21 minutes, it becomes really hard because then you've got to spend another 10 or 15 minutes kind of getting back into your flow and stuff again. Um, so yeah, it's quite. I'm surprised how little has been made of it. A lot of people have spoken about the five subs thing um, and how that's changed, but the drinks break I think is almost as drastic a change, if not more so, in terms of kind of the way it disrupts the kind of the flow of matches. The, the drinks break is the most frustrating one because you can just see that it's going to end up with a picture-in-picture ad, and Gillette's going to buy ad time, and it'll just be four quarters, and it'll be sold as sports science when it's just not. And to me, it's more so how they work in conjunction with each other more so than them independently. If they have sports science that says these guys have got to play flat out now with the European Championships and the African Cup of Nations for eighteen months, three games basically, you know, constantly. If they have sports science saying that that we have to take these these steps, then I, I would get that. But when you put them together and now you get it, I mean, in one half, you can end up having six breaks. I mean, it just completely disrupts the whole tempo flow of the game. You can, you'll can you start seeing managers, Mourinho, more than likely, having player-specific plans where you get 20 minutes and we're going to take you off, then you're going to get 20 minutes with the five subs. And don't worry, because we're going to have these natural breaks anyway. So you man-mark this guy for 20 minutes, burn yourself to the ground, then we'll bring this next guy on. Part of the sport is that the guys with the best concentration, like Joel said, with the best skill, with the with the best stamina, and those skilled players, they can get better. They find more space. They can do stuff as the game draws to an end because it, it's really hard. It's not, you're not supposed to just go and get break. I, I understand that, yeah, there will be a reasoning behind it. And as you said, Joel, it, makes, it made sense with this really truncated period. But to extend it out is to just completely transform the dynamics of the game and it makes no sense to me if they want to do a massive thing where they start limiting minutes over a season i think that becomes more of like a magical thing we have like a minutes cap players can only play x number of minutes that becomes more of a of a long-term players are playing too much it's too intense type thing if we're going to have 12 months around the uh, seasons then it is to disrupt the dynamics of the individual games yeah i mean i agree with with everything that the lads have said there to be honest i think that I think what's been interesting for me is how liberal Klopp's been with his subs. You know, you can usually set your watch by, he's very Rafa in that sense. You can usually set your watch by 65, 76, 87 for if he makes three subs in a game usually. 
I think there's only been one game, if I'm right, Palace, where he hasn't used one at half time. Um, so I get that there's the context that we've we've basically had the league one since we come back. But at the same time, I think I don't really buy the argument that it suits the top teams more. It does in the sense that they have better players, obviously. But last night's a classic example where Brighton and Hove Albion get to play with a certain a certain style and a certain strategy and a certain shape and personnel from the off. But they're still able to bring three subs on 60 um, or 65 whenever they make them in um, Basuma, Moy and Connolly. Now, that completely changes their game plan again. I think I think it's... A, I think it's just the best coaches. It's no, it, it, it's it's no accident that Ancelotti, for example, I'm not saying he's not a good coach, obviously, but Ancelotti says three is enough, and he's adamant, he's vehement that three is enough. He's saying three is three is enough because he hasn't got enough variance in the squad. He's got no variance at all. Mourinho the same, another one. Um, so I do think it, it it does sort of show up squads in that sense, um, and I, and I, I would. I would like to see it go back to three for for all the reasons the guys mentioned, but I have I have been surprised by just how much Klopp has used them. And Nico Williams, another good example, he he gets to start because there's a five sub rule. I'd, I'd argue, and then he gets took off at half time because there's a five sub rule also, and also the fact that he's on a yellow card and stuff like that. But it all plays into the same the same outcome, the same realization that this is there in the background and. And yeah, I agree with Oli massively that I think in the end it'll just become too commercialised. You'll see players playing in quarters, players coming on to take a booking and then getting getting tucked back off, all that kind of stuff. So it, it's sort of, whilst it, it makes it more optional, it, it lessens the competition for me. Just as an Sorry, It makes it more of a mockery of the whole stoppage time thing because... The, in most of the games that I've watched so far, I think last night was actually an exception to that because I think we had four at the end of the first half and six at full time. But it doesn't seem like they're... Because obviously they leave the clock for run during the, the drinks breaks and obviously you're having more subs as well. But in, in nearly all the games I've watched, it doesn't seem like that's being taken into account. So you're getting two or three minutes at the end of the first half when, when two of those minutes were when no football was being played anyway. I mean, stoppage time has always been a nonsense. I won't get into that, but it, it does feel mad that they're basically letting the clock run for an extra two minutes and that doesn't get factored into what goes on at the end of, of each half. I think it doesn't necessarily favour the richer teams. It just the teams who spend their richest best. I was I saw John McGinn after Liverpool beat Aston Villa on Sunday bemoaning the, the, the rule. Um, and I understand why, because Liverpool bring off Alex Oxley Chamberlain and Divock Origi and, and, and players such as, as that and bring on you know, Henderson and uh, Roberto Firmino and, and I think it was was it Fabinho as well maybe I can't quite remember but I can see why he's done that but at the same time Aston Villa spent 125 million last summer their yeah. bench should be better it's not it's not Liverpool's fault that ultimately Aston Villa spent a hell of a lot more than, than, than Liverpool over the past let's say 24 months it's not Liverpool's fault. It's, it's very much at the, at the feet of Aston Villa there that you haven't got the squads. And, and as Dan says, it's not about just necessarily the numbers, it's the variation. You, you've got a quick winger to replace another quick winger. You've got nobody who can who can change things. It's that that's not on on Liverpool. That's very much on Aston Villa. And 
you, you look at someone like Bournemouth, who are obviously down there. You look, you look at their their bench and the, the money they've spent. And it's woeful, and, and and maybe this will, if it does continue, it will focus minds and and make people almost, you know, their transfer strategy will not only revolve around the first eleven, but also the the the, the, the nine on the bench. You know, what is a good bench player ultimately? But I don't think it is. I think it'll just be teams throwing absolute money at it to just try and fill the bodies, and, and that's a big a big problem of it. I would say Liverpool have benefited though. Uh, stat that we picked out yesterday after the Brighton game, that Manny and Robertson, who obviously came on, Manny after uh, was sixty, I think, and and, and Robertson forty five again. What seemed like pre planned of Manny at the very least made eight key passes in their time on the pitch, which is the same as every other Liverpool player combined last night which just shows you if you get those subs right against the tyrant team it, it can really really change change how it works i mean joel do, do you feel like this is going to be something that we see beyond 21 or is it is it going to be a, a one more season and, and done part of it i'd be very surprised if it was kind of established as a kind of part of a game long term beyond next season i do as i said i hope it, it isn't kind of extended into next season but I do think it will be pretty short term um just I know you touched on Robertson there but it, I mean he, he retweeted our little thing off the account yesterday so he was obviously happy to be back in form um but I thought it's funny he almost has looked like a completely different player I think since the restart and not necessarily in a good way and it's not like we have any sort of general worries about Robertson because we, we know how good he is and how consistent he is but I thought yesterday was the best I've seen him play, one of his best performances of the season. I know he's only on for 45 minutes there, um, but you, you kind of got to see everything about him going forward. And that sort of uh, is funny. The um, When we talk about like partnerships in football, we often talk about centre-backs and the front three and the midfield partnerships. But that little connection he has going on with Mane, we haven't seen too much of it since the restart. But... Yeah, that sort of little spell um, when they were playing together was, was fantastic to see yesterday. Just uh, one final thing on something Dan said I, th I thought was really important to note. Um, that having the five subs gave Klopp kind of this get-out-of-jail free card with Nico Williams thing. Ordinarily, you'd have to decide, do we want to use one now or do we have to go through 10 more minutes where our young lad is playing out position, he's getting ragged. That's a massive dynamic shift for Brighton because if he has to stay on and do 10 more minutes, they can target him. It really changed the balance of the game. And almost for his development, you almost would want to see, like, let's see how he handles this. He's got a yellow card. He's got to be really smart. His positioning's got to be better. Let's tell him. Let's give him 10 minutes. You know, let's not embarrass him. But it, it's a complete gouge. jail for you guys. Like, okay, we'll go and put one of the best left-backs in the world on just to, just to fail that because it doesn't make any difference. It's like we still have four left. We can still bring Curtis on and say we're developing him. Like, whatever you want to do. That That's kind of frustrating because for Liverpool, using this stage of the season as development, you almost want Williams to be, like, Get it out of your system now. Like, yes, this is really hard. This is what's going to happen sometimes. You're going to get completely beaten. How do you adjust it? How do you communicate with Van Dyke? How do you communicate with Wijnaldum and figure out how to solve what is a massive problem right now? And instead, they just took Robertson out and it's a problem solved. That's a very good point. Uh, just finally, a again, just I, I'll just sort of take this one, lads, in, in terms of it, what's been in the news. Um, you may or may not have seen that the Dixie Dean statue. Uh, outside Goodison Park, which is used as a, it's a nice statue in general, but it's used as a, as a memorial ultimately for, for people to lay flowers at. Um, some idiots, and that's being kind, decided to put a, a red flare 
on top of it. Um, thankfully, no long-term damage was done. I think it's it's absolutely crazy that this is the third podcast we've done, um, and it's the second time we're discussing behaviour like this. Uh, and ultimately, I suppose the one look me saying this on this channel and 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 anybody saying it in the media, I don't think really makes a difference because I don't think these these sorts of people sort of will will take this on board. But ultimately, let's 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 just not be idiots. And again, this is a PG podcast, but let's not let's not be those sorts of people. Uh, let's let's respect the 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 people we share our city with. Um, the, the 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 players who've sort of made football what it is in this city, and and just ultimately, yeah, just just to just, just stop stop it. <laughs> I don't think there's anything more to be said. Um, in happier news, though, we're doing a series on on Liverpool.com called "What Next," and the reason we're doing this, I suppose, is it was a, a brainchild of of Ollie's, but it's you know Liverpool are the Premier Champions, Champions of the World, Champions of Europe at the time being. And ultimately, what what next? Uh, where does Liverpool go when you're already on the top of the mountain? So this is going to be a series that's going to be running over the next week and a half, maybe even two weeks. We've got some really interesting pieces planned. I'd definitely suggest you check them out on liverpool.com. It's much more about the longer-term picture, but for the podcast, we thought that we'd maybe look at, with four games remaining, what we sort of want to see and what's next for just the end of this campaign. It can be loosely related to Liverpool, it can be about Liverpool, it can be whatever. So, Dan, kick off with you. What's next for Liverpool in these last four games? Um, I mean, it's it's a funny time, isn't it, in general? Um, Liverpool, what, what I think has struck me more than anything is that we all talk about collective records, points records, these players aren't giving up on their own individual records. You know, you leave, you try and leave Mohamed Salah out against Burnley. You're going to have to lock him in his house. Literally, there's no way he is taken being rested against Burnley. And there's plenty of people saying it last night, oh, it's Salah's turn, is it? Because one of the other two have been rested in the previous two games. No. He, no. <laughs> he wants... He wants that golden golden boot. Alison Becker simultaneously will want that golden glove. Um, so I don't think we should discount uh, individual records and what they mean to these players in, in the next four games. I think, obviously, um, the, the points record is the one now that is keeping us modest, really, um, with with the fact that the league's been won. That and the trophy lift, obviously, which, which is all I'm in it for. Um, but yeah, um, I, I am intrigued to see just from a mentality point of view as much as anything. I think was really interesting yesterday, sort of the body language of someone like Oxley chamberlain for example, who you know gets in his own head a lot. When he gets brought off, I don't think there's ever a frustration that he's been brought off. I think the, the frustration with Oxley chamberlain is more that he feels he could have done more. Whereas you compare him and contrast him to Salah when he's, he's interviewed after the game and it's... It's, you know, Salah's backing himself on assists and he's he's telling you that he's he's basically saying he's not he's not ruling out himself, that he's he's gonna still get the golden boot and, and yeah, that that sort of uh, mentality in terms of what the players are still playing for is is where I'm gonna be sort of taking my leave from in terms of the next four games. I don't think I've ever seen a player be more like uh 
Christian uh, Christian Bale from Psycho type, like smiley psychopath than <laughs> Salah. He the guy is like enraged at everything, but with a smile. It's it's really insane. And he was so upset last night that he only finished with two. So upset, and then so keen to let you know about his assists. It's got. There's no chance he doesn't play every game the rest of the way. Now all the idea of let's get Harvey out, let's try and rotate. There's no chance he doesn't no. play. There is that flicker, isn't there? Where there's that little bit of anger when Manny doesn't pass to him or something like that, and then he sort of just the smile creeps back in his face. It's just so like, and he's thinking, "I'm gonna get you in that dressing room." You're to, and I'm not passing to you. Twenty-eight by the end of the year. This is ridiculous. Guy is. What you just said there, Dan, as well, just throw it forward a little bit. I'm, I'm, I think four-two-three-one against Burnley feels almost inevitable. I, f- I feel. The, the the two in the midfield to sort of sweep up the, the second balls of of um Bailey's launch launch passes and then getting maybe Mo Salah at the, the top of a, a front four just feels quite uh, just yeah feels inevitable maybe to give Firmino a little bit of time in the ten position Mane and then it's Shakiri it's it's Oxley Chamberlain it maybe Cater um Arigi Elliot take take your pick um. Joel, how about you? What, what, what's next over the next four games? What do you want to see? More of Cater, basically. Um, it feels like we've, we've, we kind of go in, in cycles of this conversation of Cater. He comes in, looks great. We get really excited, gets injured, don't see him for a few weeks. And it kind of it goes like that. I'm hopeful that this three-month break has really done him like the world of good because it feels like he's his injuries have been strange, basically, since he's been at Liverpool. He's not had any kind of really bad long-term ones has often been kind of small various muscular niggles and, and small things that he picks up which end up becoming two or three weeks out which turn into a month um so i'm hoping that this kind of long break has allowed him to sort of he, he looks bulkier he looks a bit stronger than it than he was beforehand we all do joel we all do at the moment <laughs> <laughs> um hopefully any sort of underlying problems he had have kind of fixed themselves over that time because i think last couple of games i think He's been generally fantastic. I know the first half against Villa was a little bit sort of pedestrian in general, but he obviously gets that assist um, for the Mane goal. And I thought he was, he was absolutely brilliant yesterday, to be honest. Played an hour, which is a little bit of a shame that he had to come off when he did, but I understand it's probably Klopp being careful with his fitness and stuff there. Um, I'd really like you to see him get a run. I would quite like to see him start again against Burnley, to be honest, even if it's another 60 or so. Because um, I think the thing with Cater that a lot of people forget that uh, there's a perception that he's kind of perhaps lower down the pecking order than the likes of Wijnaldum and Henderson and Fabinho. And he probably is, but there's a lot of examples you could point to in, especially last season, where in very big games, when he's been fit, Klopp has gone with Cater. He, he started him at the new Camp away in the Champions League semi-final, started him against Napoli away. There's no trust issue there from Klopp. And he spoke about him in really glowing terms yesterday, that if he's fit, there's He's absolutely fantastic. He fits us to a T. So, yeah, these next four games heading into next season, it feels like he's kind of had two pretty similar broken up seasons where we've seen flashes of brilliance. I'd like to see that sort of extended into kind of him really kind of trying to force his way into that first choice midfield. Um, because when he, if he plays like he does yesterday, he's got absolutely everything in terms of going forward. He's the trigger for the press. His, his dribbling ability is his through balls in behind um, some of his work off the ball was fantastic as well yesterday not just setting up a goal but it was one way he kind of sprinted up into the left wing position and 
made a tackle and then you see him popping up on the edge of Liverpool's own box, winning the ball back. So, yeah, basically fit Naby um, and kind of him finally sort of becoming a player that we all, we all thought we'd sign and we have seen bits of, um, but without the kind of the injury problems, I suppose. So Keita was mine as well. Uh, and as I put in the group chat last night, to, to, to most amusements, which to be fair is how you normally greet a lot of what I put in there. But I want to see Naby become Keita. And I'll just explain this a little bit at the moment, Naby. And you just called him Naby, Joel. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely you know, no, no judgments here. But Naby is Naby. Naby is the is the player who plays in fits and starts. He's a little bit of a meme because yeah, Naby, you know, pops the ball off. He's, he does some really cool things. Naby lad, all that sort of thing. I want to become Kater. I want to become one of the, the the Premier League's real driving forces. I want him to, to to have a surname which strikes fear into the hearts of of other players. You know, obviously there's a bit of Mo, but he's Salah. There's, he's not called Kevin. It's De Bruyne. And ultimately, I want Naby to become Keita, and and that's that's pretty much it from me. That, that that how that transformation happens, I don't know. You know, I think Liverpool as a city in general, and I don't know if this this extends anywhere else, but it feels like they they, they have this thing about calling the the footballers by by the first names. Um, you know, Nando was was Nando for a while, and then he became Torres. And I think once you get that first name, once you get that that surname, and you're just known as Keita. That's when you're a serious prospect, and I think that's what he's got to become. He's got to go from Naby to Keita, which makes absolutely zero sense. But there we go, Ollie. Yeah, keeping Trent though, it's just easier. Yeah, Trent, yeah, Trent's absolutely <laughs> fine. I'll give Genie as well. Genie, yeah. Some players that Curtis Jones is just—he's always going to be Curtis Jones. <laughs> it's always going to be one of those one of those names. But it's it, Naby's got to, Naby's got to go. It's got to be it's got to be Keita soon. How about I think you? That's, I think that's the right one. I think. Last night, what was interesting is when he plays with Wijnaldum, usually he's on the left of the eight, and last night he was on the right, which really encouraged more interplay between him and Salah, which was, I mean, they were unbelievable. The numbers are, are bonkers. Every time they, they were involved together, they created a chance. If we can get some more of that, and that unlocks a little bit more from him, um, I think a lot of that was to try and shield Williams on the left more so than it being his preferred role. I do think he likes to play on the drive and kind of cutting in from the left a little bit, shadowing a bit wider, then cutting in a little bit. And then he likes that little backdoor pass, moving one way, slip it the other way. But I think maybe that could be something that kind of unlocks him. If Salah can push people back and kind of create more room for him, I think that might be the the path forward. That'd be interesting. The, the disappointment for me is Minamino, honestly. If we go back to transfers. That's the transfers they did make. That was kind of the secondary rotation piece. I was excited to see he had this break. It was kind of set up for him to really get a chance. And Dan, you were speaking about it last night. Like you almost, you don't, you feel bad for him because he's really trying, and he's in a lot of the right spots. And there's a lot of the right, the movement is excellent, and there's a lot of the right, the thoughts are there, and you yeah. can see how it's going to fit. He just isn't going to get the game time with the level that Firmino plays at. How comfortable that front three is together. And then when he has had a chance to play, he either played Origi through the middle, which was bizarre, and um, always been playing out on the right. So I would like to see Minamino given at least, you know. Just with with Salah with Mane, a decent chunk of of minutes, right? Where it ends up being an hour in total, whatever. Like, give him a chance with those two. That's what I'd like to see. I think there's something they're still really not happy about with him, and I think it's body shape. Mm -hmm. The the amount in which he's he leaves himself open to to be dispossessed, and and even his body shape when making tackles, it just doesn't look right. So I wonder whether you know that's sort of a an elongated absence 
from from the, the team until until they're happy with that. I mean, he's got no better he's got no better learning points has he than than the likes of Salah and Mane. So yeah, I th- I think when you look at him, you do feel for him because like you say, he's, he's trying to do everything, but he's dispossessed way way too easily in terms of just where he's positioning his body, and it's it it is fine margins like that in this league that that define you, unfortunately. Uh, that's all good, gents. That's a that's a good chat today. I think I think we're happy with that. I think we've done a good a good birthday chat. Um, <laughs> I think that, I think that's that it's something that is befitting of of such a momentous day and occasion. I, I've been having a look as well um, of of some footballers who were born on this day and who we share a birthday with. Um, there's there's Johnny from Lazio. Didn't you know he existed? The uh, Andre Yedlin of Newcastle. Uh, this this list. Lists Raphael, but not Fabio, which is really interesting, um, <laughs> considering the, the twins. Uh, we've also got Ender Stevens, Ashley Young, and uh, Sandro Ramirez. That Everton. Oh, good God. So we're the top we, we of the are, list of. Uh, I was going to say we are. We? we are amongst. I'm, I'm just. I'm now just looking at famous people in general. Uh, OJ Simpson. Uh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, not not great. I spent uh, a lot Hanks. of my childhood trying to get people. My middle name's Jack, so I was Oliver Jack. I spent a lot of my childhood trying to get people to call me Juice, trying to give myself the nickname. I was one of those. <laughs> oh, OJ, my dad had to tell me like, please stop asking people to do that because that's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. OJ Simpson, he's he's not a, he's not a, he's not a good fella. Uh, Tom Hanks, he's not a right fella. I hope. Yeah. Um, you can't really tell nowadays, can you? But yeah, he's fine. Kevin Nash. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was known as Diesel in the WWF. This is really good. Another wrestler, Courtney Love. Uh, this is absolutely, absolutely. Courtney Love's amazing. got a lot of Liverpool links. I've got a lot of Liverpool links. This, this is this is some good content for for our audience. This uh, Paolo Di Canio, as well. Uh, oh. So yeah, really interesting. Anyone, anyone younger? Anyone, anyone that some of our our audience may have heard of? <laughs> no. No. Uh, Fred Savage, there we go. Fred Savage, is that Joel? Do you remember Fred Savage? No, no, probably doesn't know Paolo Di Canio. You know Paolo Di Canio, Joel? I do, yeah, I do know the name. <laughs> Fred Savage, he was in the he was in the Princess Bride, anyway. That is all for this week from our birthday related talk. Thank you very much for joining us uh, this week. Uh, thank you to Kai for listening in to us waffle on about who was born on the 9th of July. Um, we will be back next week when we are a year and one week old. Uh, we will hopefully, all be four of us, uh, hopefully Liverpool will be a little bit closer to that 104-point mark. So from me, Christian Walsh, Dan Morgan, Ollie Connolly, Joel Rabinovitz, thank you very much for joining us. Have a good weekend and stay safe. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.